Hoop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast, Thursday, July the 6th. Still no Steve Palazzolo, but we have the great Brad Spielberger on the show instead. How's it going, Brad? I'm doing great. How you doing? Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, the last couple of days on Twitter, and now threads, I think, which is the thing, have been all about what the average Joe could achieve athletically. And from, you know, the last sort of few charity events we've done i think we've proven fairly conclusively and we'll prove again that i am now athletically decrepit but i'm curious with you know the, there was one 48 minutes on the court how many points could you get in an nba game there was could you get five yards from 10 carries on an nfl game what is the most athletic thing you think you could achieve in a professional environment right now yeah, the both of those were hilarious, by the way. Yes. One was like, could you get 15 minutes in a 48 minute or 15 points, excuse me, in a 48 minute game? It's like you realize there are pros, like right. actual NBA pros, that try to do that every single night. I and saw a lot of yeah. them do not. It's like 15 points is a lot of points. I mean, I saw um, five, which I thought was ridiculous. Like, also, the 48 minutes thing isn't helping. Like, you're toast after three minutes, let alone, four, like, 48 is just dragging out the period of time that you are hauling your corpse up and down the court doing nothing. It's not helping you I score points. I think if points. you played the entire first quarter of an NBA game, you would be, like, so winded and gassed, yeah. you probably couldn't play much beyond that. So, so yeah, that one's insane. The football one, I think people underestimate, like, oh, if I had good blocking, you wouldn't make it to the line <laughs> of scrimmage because you're too slow to get the ball and accelerate up to So, anyway... Um, it would be something with my height, though. It's yeah. an unfair advantage. I'm not Steve, but you know, I don't know, volleyball or something that something you know, something that incorporates the six seven, you know, slender stature I'm working with. I, I don't know what off the top of my head, though. I feel like it has to be something for me now that doesn't involve moving much. Like it would have to be golf or something, right? Like every now and again, I might fluke like an eagle or a birdie or something. Like that's that's the best I've got a shot at now. Like having yeah, I have one career eagle. You brought it up, so I'll just work into the conversation <laughs> now. Yeah, I have one career eagle. I drove a par four. You know, you mentioned it. I just figured like, I'd throw that in there. You know, darts. Like I hit a one eighty one time. Does that count? Like you know, that's professional that's caliber. A sport. Admittedly, that's a they're sport. doing yeah. it. They're doing it like sequentially. You know, like three times in a row. I've no, I've done it once ever. I think. Do you know if beer die is a sport? Real quick, is that a, is that an Olympic sport at this point? I, I don't know. I doubt it. If it was, that's maybe my answer. Okay. Um, yeah, like some of these, I feel like bi so the biggest problem is when people are answering these questions, I feel like they imagine themselves at their athletic peak, you know, as opposed to what they are right now, right? We had this conversation Monday, I think, like you're, I'm in a state now where I was almost at the very bottom of my athletic peak where I was so bad that it actually disgusted me and I got myself back in shape. And then got towards the athletic peak. Like, that's where I'm back at now, where it's, it's like, it's revolting how unathletic I am at the moment relative to where I used to be. So if the question is, like, at your athletic peak, what could you achieve? I think that's a very different answer to what could I manage right now difference i think that's the one thing i'm slowly getting into this now like I, i'm 29 like I, you know i think i'm ancient at this point yeah. but like remember as a kid you'd work you'd play for six hours a day and feel nothing like i'll go out and play around a golf or something right. and i'm sitting on the couch i'm like my back is killing me or like you're like so yeah it, it's also yeah and not that i was an incredible athlete at any point but 18 year old me versus 29 year old me that's a very different athlete right there absolutely i mean i we just in the 40 explain like the thing that I'm probably best at right now is like straight line linear movement. And yet the difference between peak and now, I ran a, what, it was a 5.3 at the combine. And I, like my fastest 40 is like a high 4.6, right? So 
very different like in terms of what, what I used to be able to do and what I can do now. And then that's only worse if you start factoring in like side to side movement or anything explosive or anything like that. So this whole world of people imagining, yeah, they could drain a three in an NBA setting. Not a chance. Like you, you wouldn't get a shot off against an NBA player. You would not, you would not get a shot off. I, I don't think people understand the length and speed and, and, and uh, you know, verticals these guys are working. All right, last thing to put a bow on this, though, because it's very relevant right now. You've experienced the most gluttonous American thing of all time on, on the fourth. I'm, I mean, you've seen it before. But hot dog eating contest, what's the one food you think you could put down, you know, put yourself in an impressive, you know, realm? Huh. That's a good question. I... I used to think that I could eat an awful lot of just like steak, meat, you know, that kind of stuff. And then we went, me and Steve in New York, went to a Fogo de Chow, sat down. We did it the, you know, we didn't mess with the salad bar. We just sat down and we're like, bring the meat, bring all the meats, steak, pork, you know, lamb chops, all of it. And I ate a decent amount of meat and then was done. And Steve kept eating for some considerable period of time after that. Like, one of the most impressive eating displays I've ever seen in my life. Like, it, you forget sometimes, simply due to his size, there are things that he can do or has to deal with, like the three Bill certified chairs here, that the rest of us don't have to think about, right? That you, They're just not relevant to you. Um, and that's another one of the... like so. We went to the, the gym that we used to have uh, a membership at the Y, like a block up the street from this office. And we would go sometimes at lunchtime, work out. And he could go like having not worked out for like a year. And simply due to his size, shift some insane amount of weight, right? Just because he's working from different parameters than you are, uh, certainly than I am. The, the eating is the same thing, right? Like he's just working with a different like set of starting numbers than you are because he's got an extra 100 pounds of weight to feed. And apparently that can result in some insane amount of additional food being, being packed down. There's a lot of room to work with there, yeah. no question about it. Yeah, Fogo, the uh, the green green card challenge, uh, which maybe he did that day unintentionally, but you never flipped to red. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that, that is a – It's you enjoy it during and then after you want to go into a coma. But, but also but it's fun. I think you when you're doing that, you you become very discerning very quickly, right? Like you limit yourself. It's – uh, towards the end, it was like, listen, if you're not bringing a lamb chop or a filet, don't even come to the table. I'm not interested. Like, I, I don't want any of the other stuff. We don't have room for that. Filet or lamb chops, nothing else. Get out of here. So that was that was where we were for that. Um, what was I? I had a, one last thing. Oh, yeah. So back to the, the football one. Kendall Hinton shows you how hard it is, right? He has a better resume to play quarterback in the NFL than 99.9% .9 of people that are not in the league, right? That guy was a quarterback at some point in his football career and could not function against an NFL defense. Okay, he was on short notice and they didn't exactly help him out with the offense, but like could not, one pass he completed during the entire day. So there's people out there going, yeah, I can complete two passes against NFL defense. It's like, that dude is a better athlete and a better quarterback than you were, and he couldn't. What? No shot. No, that's the other delusion I love, too. It's like, yeah, I'll just throw a bunch of speed outs. Like, that is getting pick six every <laughs> single time. Like, a corner is jumping that route. Not even, not even because of play recognition. You're just going to throw the ball so much slower right. than an NFL quarterback that, like, it's just going to get jumped every time. Yeah, like, the, the length of time that your pass is going to be in the air on the way out to the sideline is a different world than an NFL quarterback or even a guy that used to play quarterback in college or whatever it's it's madness to me and there's a whole bunch of those things going around the internet right now so i craziness to me anyway we're going to get into an actual show in just a moment talking about the salary cap health of all the teams in the nfl you've written an awesome article over on pff.com but first the pff nfl podcast is sponsored by western and southern financial group while you focus on your roster moves Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. All right, Bradley. 
You've written this monster of an article over at uh, PFF.com. It's called NFL Salary Cap Three-Year Analysis for All 32 NFL Teams. We're not going to go team by team, you know, in this this show. It would take us all day. But I'm going to get you to essentially break down what is this article, what are we talking about, what are your main kind of criteria, and then we'll dive into each section a little bit as we go. Yeah, so a couple years ago, had the idea of, look, we always talk about cap space and people point to this static number and, and think that tells you a lot about what teams are able to do and, and how they can move things around and add talent. And, and I thought, look, that we should come up with something that does a better job. That There's still, of course, always going to be, you know, kind of outliers or, or, or things of that nature. But basically, a way to actually provide a picture of where does this team stand? Do they have a good roster that they don't need to add much? talent to do they not have a good roster but they have the resources to add a bunch of talent to it um and, and then also the you know the last one is do they have a bunch of free agents coming up for new contracts right so um because obviously that's going to you know forward looking if you have to pay a bunch of these guys it's going to change your, your entire outlook on your your roster so five categories pretty simple the first one is just evaluation of your roster how good do we think your entire current starting top 51 roster is that is the most heavily weighted of the five as well. After some feedback, I changed that last year because it's true. At the outset, you know, yeah, if you have a bunch of cap space and draft picks, it doesn't mean a whole lot if you're not good. The Jaguars and Browns for a decade straight probably would have been first and second here, and it kind of would have meant nothing. So, so we've weighted that now a lot more. Just how good do we think your roster is? And then the tweak is... Do you have kind of good players at expensive positions, right? You know, do you have a lot of good edge rushers and receivers and tackles? Because that's going to matter more, you know, because those are the, the pricier and harder to add in free agency positions. So that's the first one. Second one, active draft capital, simply just where you know how many players have you taken in the last three seasons because those guys are still on rookie deals and then it's weighted by the actual draft pick it is right so using our draft value chart the first overall pick is three thousand points you have a bunch of seventh round picks nice but they may not actually mean anything so it's weighted towards you know where the picks landed uh, that is the second category third one straightforward just how much cap space do you have the next three years the fourth one total prorated money what that means is obviously everyone knows now the easiest lever you can pull to create upfront cap space is push a bunch of cap down the road use that credit card you know help yourself in 2023 by just pushing cap out into the future yeah it's going to help now but eventually that credit card bill is going to come due just for example, the Eagles uh, lead the list here by a country mile at yeah. this point. And sure, they, they were able to add a lot of good players this offseason and retain a lot of free agents. But there will come a time where, you know, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Darius Slay, where all these guys are going to be retired. They're going to leave voids because they're still good football players and they're going to leave cap hits behind. Um, and the Eagles will have to overcome that. And then the last category, like I mentioned at the top, is basically taking your free agents that are expected after this season, projecting what they're going to be worth, uh, and then saying, you know, how many obligations do you have upcoming? So the Bengals, who I'm sure we'll jump into a little bit, they were first overall in, in the total of the five, but they obviously have T. Higgins and DJ Reader and Shadobia Wouzier. And this list, this doesn't even factor in Joe Burrow because technically right. he's not a free agent until 2025. But nevertheless, um, you know, that is the last category is, yeah, you got a lot of money, but you have a lot of internal players that need you to spend it in, in the near future. Um, okay, so let's start off with, uh, kind of what the overall top few teams looks like, and then we'll dive into a few different questions and specifics and stuff. So with all those factors, who are the healthiest salary cap situations in the NFL? I, You know, I, I'll say the Bengals. They are first. They were first last year. I'm kind of shocked we're seeing a back-to-back uh, number one overall in this, but of course we are probably going to see you know Joe Burrow get a fifty-five plus million dollar per year contract in the next couple months. That will certainly change the equation here. But for them, look, third overall in, in the just valuation of their roster, they're not only talented, but they have a lot of good players at marquee positions, including quarterback, which obviously goes a very long way. They've been able to add talent without giving up much draft capital. Top half of the NFL in just the number of players that they have on rookie deals right now. And here's the big one probably is they're still top five in cap space for the next three years. Again, that is going to change dramatically, uh, but it looks good right now. 
only fourth in total prorated money given out. So, you know, those signing bonuses, all those things, again, going to change. But what, what it does, if you don't have it going into all these deals is, look, you can do it. It's not a bugaboo to, to, to you know, to use these, these mechanisms at play. It's more just... If you're doing it all the time, it then gets hard to add more talent. You know, the Buccaneers are my favorite example. They basically had no prorated money before Tom Brady got there, and it's why they were able to just push so much cap into the future. If they already had it, it would have made it really difficult to do that. So they're top five in that category as well. Um, and then I mentioned the free agents kind of work against them, but um, but that's that, that's expected. So when you're looking at this and Cincinnati is, you know, the, the top team by based off this kind of measurement, is what is the driving force behind that? Is it a team that's just drafted well in recent years and therefore has a roster that has the likes of T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, and, and that type of player on it right now? Or is it a reflection of, the contracts that are going to come due that we've been talking about it, the same collection of players um, and this team sort of understanding that they need to free up the space in order to make that happen, that they need to kind of create this situation where they have a lot of space and they have the kind of cash that they can then give out these contracts, which obviously will change that picture once all those deals are signed. Yeah, drafting well is always going to be the the greatest way you can, you know, it sounds very, very simple and obvious, but like it's a cure-all for everything. If you hit on a bunch of draft picks, you can figure the rest out later, um, and it really is the the magic sauce to, to just creating a good football team and sustaining it for a, a period of time because you have these, these surplus value four-year deals. So that is, of course, number one, but for them, they deserve a ton of credit for... You know, when they have dipped their toes in the free agency waters, I mean, you know, a couple guys I just mentioned that are now due for new deals. But, you know, Chidobia Woozie, you get him for less than $10 million a year. He played like a top 10 corner, you know, when healthy in 2021. Trey Hendrickson, $15 million a year. He's played like a $25 million per year edge rusher since the day they signed him. DJ Reader has had injuries, but I think he signed for about $13.25 million per year. He's played for, you know, at a value above that, even with the injuries, frankly. So they've also just signed... A lot of very good players for good deals. Mike Hilton, and we can keep naming names as long as we want to go. Even Orlando Brown this offseason, that is a, you know, he's worth more than what he got. He is. So it's the drafting very well. Obviously, they were picking super-duper high. You know, Higgins, Burrow, Chase, all these guys came from a, a class where they were picking top five. But, but also... When they supplemented this roster around those guys, they picked their spots, they signed kind of second-wave free agents, and, and they just hit on a bunch of them. Yeah, it's an interesting connection to make that, like, drafting well is one of the best things you can do for your for a healthy salary cap. Like, it, it's not necessarily an, an intuitive connection, but because those contracts are such good value, the rookie deals that we all know, like, it, it's in some ways it's a just two plus two equals four kind of deal, but it, it was a connection that I hadn't necessarily made actively in my brain beforehand that if you go on a run of drafting well, it's going to help your salary cap because those are a bunch of players, at least short term, that are on those surplus value cheap deals. Okay, eventually in a few years, you're going to have to pay them market value or, or above market value. Um, but in the short term, that is going to dramatically help your salary cap, but only to a limit. And I think a good example of that is New Orleans, who have drafted kind of as well as anybody over you know a period of time. But it's not enough to drag them up the list because of the way they play the salary cap versus a team like Cincinnati. Big thing for them, the, the kind of analogy I make, like I said, why drafting well can just be a cure for everything. So, of course, I get asked about them a ton. They are dead last in this ranking. I think they were last year as well. Um, you know, but they always get away with it. They always sign players. All right, from the five-year period from 2012 to 2016, you had Drew Brees in his prime. You had a lot of good football players around the roster as well. But you make Jarris Bird the highest-paid safety in the NFL. You give Junior Gallette a lot of money when he already kind of had some off-field stuff going on. You're giving out all these major contracts. From this five-year period, they were 7-9 four times, and they won 11 games one year. Um, I think they won a playoff game that year. So one playoff win in a five-year stretch with Drew Brees at quarterback. And then... And he had the lowest passing yard total in that five years was 4,870. <laughs> he had three 5,000-yard seasons in that stretch and basically had nothing to show for it. And then the 2017 draft class happens, right. and you add four like all-pro caliber players in one class at tackle, you know, at edge rusher with Trey Hendrickson, you know, obviously Marcus Williams, all these, all these players – 
Yeah, it, it it can solve a lot of problems, but if that class stinks, like we're our entire narrative and analysis around the Saints is probably different because they probably tear it down earlier. They're probably kind of in a different position right now. But but hey, I mean, I'm not taking holding it against them. They knocked it out of the park and it, and it kind of prolonged the Breeze era for probably two three more years. So who else would you um, highlight as teams that are in a particularly good situation in terms of cap health? Yeah, so, you know, I think just one example of somewhere where they did a good job of allowing themselves to do what they're now doing, that is the New York Jets, where... We're going to get more and more teams that make these massive trades for you know these these elite quarterbacks if they're available. Um, you know, I mentioned Brady earlier. Obviously, that was a free agency signing, but I think you only can really pull that off in a sustainable manner if you have a lot of really good players on these cheap deals elsewhere. So you know, when you add Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall last year, had a couple good picks in years before that as well. Obviously, some bad ones like Zach Wilson, but. It essentially inheriting this massive contract for Aaron Rodgers like doesn't kill them, right? Like they're you know they're still okay. They can still navigate through these waters. They added some talent. They had a lot of good players to begin with. They can now kind of add depth. And you know I mean they're five six edge rushers deep at this point. So you know it's just it shows that like if you try to have a quick fix and spend a ton in free agency, which you know they did before. It's not always going to be the fastest path back, and, and, and frankly, more so, it might hinder your ability to get a big quarterback and, and be able to kind of do one of these things. So, yeah, they're, they're fine. I mean, they, they should be in a good place for a couple more years. In how many sort of how how much could that change depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers, right? So. I think the expectations year one are that Aaron Rodgers does well. The Jets are contenders. They make the playoffs. Maybe they go on a run. Maybe they make a Super Bowl. Maybe they win a Super Bowl. Um, after that, though, is feels like a total unknown, almost regardless of what happens. Like, if it's a terrible season, could go in a number of ways. If they win a Super Bowl, it could go in a number of ways. Like, Rodgers could go, this is, this is awesome, let's go again. Or he could walk away and be like, that's my validation, right? That's the second ring that makes me untouchable. All the talk about, you know, Rodgers can't get it done in the postseason, all that disappears. And, like, he gets the sort of Eli Manning or Peyton Manning even validation of the second ring, which means nobody can criticize you anymore. And then he can walk off into the sunset. What, but So there's a variety of sort of different things that could happen to Rodgers. How many different ways does that affect that salary cap situation for them? Yeah, so right now he has a salary in 2024 of over $100 million. It's probably <laughs> the biggest salary on paper in the history of the NFL. Um, obviously, he's going to shift a, a chunk of that into this year. Uh, and, and Jeremy Fowler ESPN has been talking about how they're trying to kind of work through how to make this a two-year pact. Like you said, I think if he wins a Super Bowl and wants to retire, they'd probably be okay with that. If anything, that's they can find a way to spin that as a positive, right? Because, sure. okay, well, we're not paying him $55 million next year. Of course, you got to find a quarterback and, and figure that whole situation out. But, like, yeah, he doesn't cripple them long term. Um, you know, it's just obviously you got to pay Quinn and Williams. There are a lot of good players coming up for deals. But you look at that roster, they don't have any kind of bloated veteran contracts that are working against them that are going to be super tough to get off of. You know, if anything, this offseason, they did a good job of like negotiating a pay cut with Carl Lawson. I think they're trying yeah. to negotiate a pay cut with CJ Mosley. Like, they're trying to actually get out ahead of it. And Joe Douglas has always done that. Um, you know, it, it, people say, oh, they have so much cap space. Why are they, you know, asking guys for pay cuts? Every dollar saved in cash matters and can come down, you know, later on could, could factor in. And they've kind of been setting this up for a couple of years now. Yeah, whatever Rodgers does, it, they, they are fine to work around what, what he wants to do. I don't know. I don't know that everybody knows this um, sort of as casual information. But when a player retires midway through their contract, what happens in, in salary cap terms? Like, how does that money, how does that affect the cap going forward? Yeah, so it varies, right? So, so Andrew Luck, f famously, they, they paid him the rest of his guaranteed money, didn't ask for any signing bonus forfeiture back or any of those things. On the flip side, the Detroit Lions, when Calvin Johnson retired, not only didn't give him any money, but also were like, hey, you know, this prorated portion of your signing bonus that we gave you, technically we are at liberty to ask for that cash back uh, because you didn't play under those years. 95% of the time, maybe that's too high, but but the vast majority of the time, the team kind of just lets it, unless they think it's, you know, the guy gets arrested or there's some kind of negative connotation right. to why he's no longer playing. Um, usually the guy just keeps it. In this scenario with Rodgers, let's say just for, you know, he has 
$50 million salaries this year and next year. They play out this season. Let's just, I don't know, they win one playoff game. They go 12-5, and five, whatever. It's a good year. They don't win a Super Bowl. And Rodgers says, you know what? Thanks for having me. Thanks for bringing all my friends aboard. I, I, I want to retire. I'm going to hang up my cleats. If they, you know, process that, he's not owed that salary, right? And I would guess they'd say, look, we're not going to pay you another $50 million to not be here. You know, we're not going to ask for any bonus money or anything like that back. But, um, but yeah, it's treated like a cut. It's effectively a cut. And if you don't earn money, then it's not going to hit your salary cap, right? So, so you know, he wouldn't be there for it, even if it's guaranteed. If he retires, he's not going to earn that cash, and they would get that. they would get that relief. And I think that would be the situation there. Okay, so he's not, um, he doesn't count to a giant sum of money against the salary cap because he's not earning the money. Correct. Okay. Um, so the Jets are another team, I think, that are, in, that are in good situation. Who else would be on that list? So then looking at teams that are just kind of, you know, younger and cheaper but are set up pretty well. I mean, obviously, Chicago just gutted their entire roster and right. started over, but they really do have, like, the liberty to do whatever they want. Um, obviously an arsenal of draft picks the next couple of years, but also second in cap space over the next three years combined. They have the least prorated money in the entire NFL now. Um, you know, so that so if they do get good and want to push some money into the future, they can. I, I liked that they um, which is actually what the Jets did a couple of years ago. They bring in all these free agents, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, TJ Edwards, all these players, Nate Davis, et cetera, and they don't push the money out. They actually keep a bunch of year-to-year, you know, big cap hits in each year. A lot of these guys had tiny signing bonuses, and they circumvented that by having a big roster bonus in the first and or second year. Um, And why I say the Jets did that, the Jets came into this offseason, Carl Lawson and Corey Davis signed three-year deals a couple years ago, Neither guy, if cut this offseason, they would have left behind six-figure dead money numbers, right? Like, basically nothing, right? Like, 500000 I think, for Corey Davis, probably 700000 for Carl Lawson. And so what's smart to do that is, like I said, if you let's say the let's say Justin Fields hits, he's good, and, and, and they feel in a good spot. They could literally sign any single player on the planet that they want to. They could trade some of this extra draft capital to go get a edge rusher or go get whatever. Like they they've just cleared their books entirely, um, and, and really can do whatever they want. Um, I, I think. Sorry, I was lost. Where was I going? Oh yeah, so. The one team that jumped out from this list to me are the Minnesota Vikings, who you've got number six. Um, One of the big criticisms we've had for the Vikings, or at least I've had for a period of time, was the start of this new regime, the quasi uh, regime. It looked very similar to the previous one, right? But this offseason, we're starting to see what looked like the suggestion that they are moving in a different direction, you know, moving on from guys like Zadarius Smith, even though he's still a really good player that could help them, cutting Dalvin Cook, um, you know, heading in these different directions. They're now number six, and they were a team that sort of typically skewed towards the New Orleans Saints end of the spectrum in terms of the credit card plan for the salary cap. But all of a sudden, they're now, what, top 10 in terms of prorated money in terms of the the, the least amount, right? The, the bottom 10, the 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 better 10 side of that equation. And that's kind of pushing all these numbers up to healthy salary cap situation. Do you think this reflects a sort of complete shift in direction in terms of how they're going to handle the salary cap? Or is this an indication that, you know, this is a team sort of freeing up money or shifting tack to try and do something like, you know, we're going to need a Kirk Cousins successor down the line or, you know, make some kind of significant splash in a different way. Yeah, no, they, they deserve a lot of credit because it would have been understandable or I guess not surprising for a front office, even as analytically minded as Quasi Dofo Mensa and co to say, look, we went 13 and three last year, whatever, 13 and four. Um, you know, we have a lot of good players. They're, you know, good culture guys, et cetera, et cetera. Let's run it back or let's see if we can kind of do a, you know, a, a half rebuild and, and half kind of, you know, see if we can, you know, make one more run. And instead they said, no, look, Adam Thielen, Darius Smith, Eric Kendricks, um, you know, look, we, we know our window with that nucleus is probably closed. But they were one of the older teams in the NFL last year. And they said, let's just get way younger <clears throat> and try to just figure this thing out. 
And I do think they show up very well here because they also, I mean, with Neil Hunter, with Justin Jefferson, with both Brian O'Neill and Christian Derrissaw, like they're very good right now at, at the premium positions. So their roster valuation showing up in the top 10 kind of surprised me, to be frank. But, you know, you have a, you have a quarterback who's going to show up well in that metric and then you're just good. You know, Justin Jefferson's the you know highest valued non-quarterback in the entire analysis. So that obviously helps as well. Um, but yeah, they, they pivoted. They shifted. What gets interesting for them, in my opinion, though, is you see in that far right column, they're 27th in, in their free agent valuation, which doesn't even include Justin Jefferson. Uh, but, you know, TJ Hawkinson might try to become the highest paid tight end in the NFL. They have all these big deals coming down the pike and Kirk Cousins is a pending free agent. So if they don't figure out a quarterback, are they then going to, again, kind of be in the same position they were in the Case Keenum year where they say, we got a, a bunch of awesome players on our roster that are we're paying a lot of money, but unless we do something at quarterback, it's not going to matter. And unfortunately, we're picking in the teens because we have all these good players. Right. You know, what can we do? It's almost, it's funny, they, they might kind of get back in the same spot, um, you know, which which is pretty interesting. So another thing that's that's sort of fascinating to me is looking at the other end of the list and how there are some teams with a quote-unquote bad salary cap situation that are expected to be good, right? Like the Saints are probably, they must still be the favorite for that division, right? I haven't checked the, the odds, but oh, yeah. the Saints are going to be favored for that division. Um, you know, the Buccaneers are going to be trying to knock the Saints off. Seattle made the playoffs last year. Baltimore, we expect to be in the running in that division. San Francisco are one of the class teams in the NFC. The Browns can contend if they get get their quarterback back on track. I guess my question is, have we reached a, a point where sort of salary cap hell in the way we all imagine it or the way it used to happen we're kind of beyond that as a league. Like, it's possible, obviously, to drive yourself into a, an absolutely disastrous situation. But unlike, you know, when free agency first became a thing, clearly the league had no clue how to manage this, right? And teams very quickly ran themselves into all kinds of trouble and had these complete purges where they just had to gut the roster. The whole thing had to be torn down because they didn't know how to manage it properly. But now you know years later decades on you manipulate it in different ways you you know there's a difference in terms of approach whether you pay off the credit card or whether you let it ride but fundamentally we're all just we all know how to deal with this now and the only difference is sort of pushing gas or turning up the gas when you have a real quarterback and a real window versus dialing it back when you don't I think that's the biggest thing is that the the team's honesty with themselves and, and frankly I think this could be owner driven or you know front offices convince the owner to look at it this way more than anything else but We'll also say the Seattle Seahawks were like my most surprising. I was shocked they were 28th on this list. I'm obviously extremely bullish on Seattle. Anyone who listens to the forecast knows that. But here's an example though, and, and they will skyrocket up this list quickly. The reason why they're that low is because. Both starting tackles were rookies last year, so they don't show up that well. Both cornerbacks are, you know, a rookie and a sophomore. Their edge rushers are either all young. Chenna Wilson is a good player, but every other guy is a rookie contract guy that hasn't really done much yet. Anyway, a couple years ago, I think, and obviously Seattle, you know, with Russell Wilson was it was a particular situation. But if they tried to keep pulling at that thread and saying, you know, we're going to stick with Russell Wilson and try to figure this thing out, not have all this extra draft capital to add all these incredibly talented players they had the last two drafts, they would be in a horrific situation. But I think in today's NFL, you have cover, and, and you're able to say, you know what, no, let's trade our franchise guy, even though he's, what, 31, 32 years old. We need to kind of start things over and, and kind of reset the books. And I just don't think you saw that, you know, a, a couple of years ago. So, you know, the Rams obviously are 30th on here. They have our, you know, our worst roster in the NFL, which is shocking considering, you know, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, and Aaron Donald factor into that number. Right. But, you know, they do deserve credit. They're going to stink this year. But if they were like, you know, let's just let's see if we can get through it and get healthy and and keep Jalen Ramsey and, and keep Leonard Floyd and keep all these guys, keep Allen Robinson, they would, again, kind of be in the basement for a couple of years. But I think teams just kind of like you said, in both directions, if you're good, you spend a little bit more now, make a big trade, see what you can do. And I think if you're bad, you, you pull the plug maybe a year earlier than than before. Yeah, I mean, they're they're the Rams are a great example of like they they might have the worst roster in the NFL, top to bottom, but if you were sort of just grading rosters, even at their peak, 
the roster was never great. It's that they had these stars that could offset a ton of it. And, you know, you could easily imagine a situation where the Rams are not bad at all this year and put themselves in playoff contention. Maybe they're not, you know, capable of rivaling Philadelphia or San Francisco or whatever, but could feature as a a legitimate team this season. And they would still have a salary cap that is not in, you know, they're not in that hell situation that we talked about with those teams, you know, in the, the, the start of the free agency era. So the Rams have probably done this as extreme as any team in the league in the last five plus years and are still in a situation where they're, they're okay. They're fine, right? They're not in a disastrous spot. They're not in salary cap hell the way we all imagine it. It just feels like across the board, the league now has a much, much better handle on how to manage the salary cap top to bottom. I think it's probably fair. I think they're getting more creative. I think the big one, too, is not being the sunk cost of dead money, I think, used to prevent a ton of moves. And teams would say, yeah, you know, we already have invested this much in this guy and he's going to count against our cap for 10 million if we move on from him. So why not just keep him and pay a guy 15 million dollars in cash this year that we don't think is even remotely worth that. And now they're just saying, no, let's just save as much as we can right now. Let's not let dead cap kind of dictate our decision making and our moves. Um, and the Rams embody that better than anyone. I, I mean, you know, you trade Brandon Cooks right after paying him. You have Todd Gurley. You trade Jared Goff right after paying him. Like, they just said, yeah, it's going to stink. There's going to be a cap hit for a guy that's not here. But we're still saving a bunch of money um, by not giving him another year's salary. We're just moving on as soon as we think it's the right time from a does his production project production um you know make him worth uh you know this salary number this year if the answer is no let's just move on as soon as possible and that sum of money is getting bigger and bigger all the time like you you don't have to go back that far before you know a move like matt ryan matt ryan's exit from atlanta simply would never have happened because of how big that dead cap hit was going to be and yet now teams are more and more willing to make that monster move even though the dead cap hit is huge um we'll continue this in just a second but the player you benched in fantasy football just went off with best ball and DraftKings. you get the best of your team all season long this year Best Ball in DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest best ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Enter DraftKings' best ball millionaire contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers, no ads, drops, or trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million in top prize. Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with the code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as is 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends July 14th, 2023. Uh, all right. Where are we going now? So of the teams that are contenders this season... Is there anybody whose window is absolutely closing based off this information? Absolutely closing might be a little extreme, but I do think the pressure is on the Buffalo Bills right now. Um, you know, look, I mean, they're, they're number one in our just total roster valuation. So obviously we think they've built a phenomenal football team, but, you know, they're now 31st in active draft capital. They trade up a bunch. Most of them, obviously Josh Allen was a hit. The rest kind of weren't. Um, you know, they've prorated a top five amount of money. They have a couple free agents left. They obviously did extend at Oliver um, and their 30th in cap space over the next three years. So look, very good football team, but this is where, you know, the conversation of, oh, you can just push things out forever or whatever. Von Miller is going to be 34 years old, I think, this year. He's probably still the best player on this defense. Um, you know, Stefan Diggs is going to be 30. Obviously might not be unhappy about something. Who knows what's going on there? I won't say it's slamming close because, look, Josh Allen in his prime is going to be a contender every year. But there's going to be a time where, like, this nucleus of players probably will not be the guys that win a ring. Like, your Shadavius Whites, your Deion Dawkins, your etc. Good football players probably will be for a couple more years. But, 
you know, at a certain point, I know it sounds crazy, but you probably have four or five year windows with non quarterbacks where they're probably going to be prime players living up to the contracts you do give them. And I think, you know, after this season, they're kind of maybe going to have to make a couple tough decisions. Who can they keep? Who didn't live up to their deal? And kind of have to look. I mean, Gabriel Davis is a free agent. I probably wouldn't pay him. I don't know what he's asking for, but good player. But, you know, it, it just could be tough. So, anyway, a lot of those tough decisions are coming up for Buffalo. As a as a quick aside, do you have any idea what is going on with Stephon Diggs? Like, why why is this happening again? If you're, you know, if, if anyone's familiar with Diggs and the Vikings, like this this is kind of how he ended up in Buffalo in the first place, right? Everything was going fine, everything looked good, and then all of a sudden, Stephon Diggs is unhappy about something, and you know, for at that point, it was like, well, the contract they shipped him to Buffalo, but now it's it's starting all over again. It is interesting because we, you know, I don't know if this is true. We never fully know, but uh, contract obviously was one of the reasons in Minnesota. And I think the second was maybe just, hey, we're a run first offense yeah. and I'm getting 100 targets a year, not 150. But now his contract is top of the NFL at wide receiver and the Bills are the most pass happy team in the NFL. So I, I don't think those two factors. I think maybe, yeah, maybe he, he's looking at my, you know, salary cap breakdown here and saying, why not go out and get a DeAndre Hopkins or why not go out and do abc xyz because i want to win now and i think we should do all we can but look the bills are top three in cash spending um they're doing all they can you get leonard floyd you make a bunch of moves in free agency obviously nothing massive but you know Connor mcgovern left guard etc etc it seems like it's just like he really really wants to win um but they've kind of done i'm not gonna say they've done all they can but they, they've been very very aggressive and, and you don't want to get much further beyond what they've done or then you're looking at a hey josh allen's 28 29 and we're kind of like retooling the roster and, yeah. and not as good as we could be um you know and we'll get into that maybe like the chiefs and and some other teams that have that have kind of towed the middle despite being you know a, a yearly contender that's the thing it's so the Minnesota agitation and ultimate departure, you could you could see his side of that, right? Like he ended up signing a deal that ended up being very much below market value for how good he was. And it was a run heavy team relative to, you know, certainly the Bills right now. And so if his case was, look, I can do more in this offense, even if it's whether or not that's for selfless or selfish reasons, like his point was valid. I can be more within this system it will either help the team or it will help me either way. Like my role can be bigger. And he was right, right? He, he gets traded away to Buffalo. Josh Allen is his quarterback. And that connection creates a much bigger presence for Stephon Diggs. But critically also, the contract he signs is now not below market value. Like he is market value contract. He's getting the targets. He's getting the production he wants. The only thing that's not happening is the Bills have not got to a Super Bowl, they haven't won a Super Bowl, they haven't done the thing that everybody's trying to do. But, like, that's kind of not his problem, you know what I mean? Like, that's somebody else's job. Like, your job is to go out there, be amazing on the field, do as much as you can, and if the team is, like, deliberately scrimping somewhere or not giving everybody the things they need to get the job done, sure, that's when you can agitate. But if they're doing all they can do reasonably – and it's just not been it just hasn't worked out yet uh, you throwing your toys out of the pram isn't helping like all that's doing is putting pressure on them to actually do silly things and get themselves into trouble and not like keep this thing on the the sort of relatively narrow pathway that you need in order to maintain you know a, a contending roster year after year where, you know, and, and good luck to GMs trying to explain this or coaches explain this, not even explain, but just like keep a, you know, consistent message of like football is so random. It is a game of inches. Yeah. One thing breaks your way. If the Bills don't give up a field goal with 13 seconds or whatever it was against Kansas City, then they are in a Super Bowl and who knows if they win it. But, you know, this year I think is maybe different. They, they kind of had, they got beaten down this year. You know, I think it was a little bit different than, than the years past, but it's hard. They, they were first in point differential each of the last two seasons. Like they were among the elite NFL teams. That just doesn't always translate to a ring. It's 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 a it's a tough sport to break through. And there's a really like there's a really fine line between hyper competitiveness. You know, a guy that wants to win more than anything else in the world and is prepared to sort of do everything possible to make that happen. And then now you've taken that so far that you've become a pain in the ass, right? Like it's one thing when you're when you have a point that hey. 
we need to do this stuff because we're the, the things we're doing are not conducive to winning. But if the things you're doing are, are right, they just haven't worked out your way yet, and you're being a pain in the ass, like you're, you're creating problems just because you're annoyed that you haven't won yet, that's when it starts to become a problem. And I don't know if that's what's happening in Buffalo yet. We're all working from sketchy information and, and sort of piecemeal bits and pieces from the outside, but it's difficult to identify a legitimate reason that Diggs should be pissed off based off the situation in Buffalo right now. And if he is, like he, if, he, if he is causing issues for something other than that, obviously that's not good for the Bills. Yeah, I would say it's also just a fine line and a different from a different perspective of like you love that the guy wants to win so yeah. badly that he's like you know so you honestly how you kind of you know control that energy or or use that energy can, can dictate everything. But yeah, I, I do think the guy is just I mean clearly a a ridiculously fierce competitor and just wants to win by any means necessary and, and maybe it boils over sometimes. I don't know. I do think like the head coach giving a comment in the middle of June when nothing is happening. Like if he said that, I don't know. If he said that in August or, or you know September, I think maybe it's it's more valid. Uh, you know, an elite player missing one OTA. I don't know. McDermott probably wants to have that one back. <laughs> yeah, I think. But so one of the it's always been interesting to me that like this doesn't happen with other positions. It's always wide receivers, you know, <laughs> the, the divas, right? And I've always been really interested by the line at which point. Because I think most of them are driven by exactly the same thing. I think most of these guys, the classic diva wide receivers down the years, it's always been wanting to win. Like Randy Moss got run out of Minnesota. Randy Moss just wanted to win. Like he he didn't he had legitimate concerns that the team was not doing everything it could in order to win games. Like they were run for most of that time by a penny-pinching penny owner who wasn't giving them the resources, like wasn't giving them enough money to hire coaches, you know, just didn't want to win as much as other people, right? So Moss, like, obviously he made mistakes, squirting a guy with a water bottle, like, whatever. But most of Moss's issues were the dude was frustrated and wanted to win more than anybody else. And eventually they just said, you know what, it's too much, see ya, right? And, and kind of ran Moss out of town, and clearly he didn't get better by doing that, right? Terrell Owens is another one where, like, at what point was Terrell Owens worth the headache and not worth the headache? And finding that balance was always the thing. Like, the Hall of Fame caliber wide receiver that multiple teams decided was not worth the headache and moved on from him. And now, at least if this continues in its current path, Diggs is sort of in, on that pathway of elite wide receiver, clearly wants to win, but you can only make so much noise before the team decides it's not worth the headache and, and moves on. And where that line is or how you manage it is always fascinating to me. Like another example we talked about the other day, uh, Antonio Brown and the Steelers, right? And Mike Tomlin's ability to kind of keep him together for way longer than anybody else was able to once he left Pittsburgh. Like just a, a head coach's ability to manage that kind of thing and channel what I suspect is frustration coming from the right source you know just ah we haven't won the super bowl we haven't got to a super bowl like come on and getting that to a useful direction rather than just letting it spiral out of control and creating a problem that has to inevitably result in that guy leaving the team the great challenges in sports i think for whatever reason we associate it more with like phil jackson in basketball or like yeah, like you're trying to manage expectations for 53 players that all, yeah, of course they have personal uh, goals as well, right? You know, the team winning is probably where most of it stems from, but yeah, it, it is it is a tough, tough part of the job. Um, yeah, especially in a sport as random as football where you can have the best team um, for a number of years and, and it may not, you know, culminate in a ring. Just a piece of NFL news over the summer, Brad. And here's another piece of NFL news in the summer. Not NFL news, just news in the summer. If you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. While you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into Smooth Sack Summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 is everything you need to prepare that summer bot. They've built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. 
Their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor and new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock. And it gives you the ability to turn the uh, LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag, which I used all throughout uh, my road trip. Uh, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sack summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. And by the way, I broke out that, uh, that beard trimmer on whenever the hell it was, Monday, Tuesday. I, I, it's pretty good. Does it does the, does the trick. The person that writes I mean, these, hey, they're they're a great sponsor. They're they're trying to keep the uh, the boys happy and healthy through the summer. You, you just you just got to appreciate it. The people that write those uh, those ad reads are artists, like genuine artists. Uh, those are some fun- like dive headfirst into smooth sack summer is artwork. I mean that's genuine wordsmith play. There was another one in there as well that I think was pretty phenomenal. But these things. In terms of ad reads, are pretty outstanding. So if you want to help the podcast, manscaped.com, code PFF. The travel bag is amazing. All their uh, shower gels, all that kind of stuff is amazing. The beard trimmer is amazing. And the uh, lawnmower 4.0. Buzz right through everything you got. All right, Brad. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up by talking about some teams, I think, that are towards the bottom of this thing, but actually not in bad shape. Because... That's the implication, right, is that the, when you're at the bottom end of this stuff, you're kind of in trouble. You're towards the salary cap hell that we talked about. But who are some teams that are towards the bottom end of these rankings that actually overall are not don't have a bad outlook going forward? You mentioned the 49ers earlier. I'd probably you know, peg them. Their interesting thing is they're still top 10 in the valuation of just the full roster. And it actually doesn't even include Brock Purdy. He wouldn't be that valuable because he had six starts last year. Um, but it's only the top 51, right? We're using off-season rosters, uh, and his contract is so small that he's actually not on the 49ers' top 51. Um, so still top 10. The thing there is, like again, they have a good problem. Their good problem is they have so many good football players that they need to pay. So you have Nick Bosa, Brandon Ayuk, you know, up for these massive deals. And obviously, internal guys you've already paid um, at pretty much every position across the roster. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, like it's they're, they're screwed. They're in a tough spot. It's like, no, they just have hit on so many draft picks um, and have elite talent across the entire roster that, yeah, it's not going to help their salary cap space. And then, you know, when you don't have quarterbacks solidified and figured out, maybe it looks a little bit more dire than it really is. But if Purdy is the dude, and they're paying him, you know, pennies a year for the next three seasons. Then they're going to be totally, totally fine, and they can actually spend a t- like spend a ton like they already are, um, because they just have so much surplus value potentially coming from that quarterback position. Yeah, they have such a weird um, dynamic with their quarterback spot because any option, like they don't know who their quarterback is really going forward, but any of the options are cheap. So whether it's whether it's Brock Purdy be you know continues last season and becomes the dude for them and they're paying him almost nothing, it's great. If Brock Purdy doesn't work out and they have to turn it back over to Trey Lance and he somehow works out, it's still good because he's on that rookie contract. And then worst case scenario, both those guys are disasters. They turn it over to Sam Darnold and Shanahan works his magic with him. Darnold's not getting paid much either. So like any possible dynamic for the 49ers where their quarterback works out it's not costing them a lot of money, at least in the short term. So from, from that perspective, their cap health is pretty good. Obviously, they're going to pay some of those guys. Brandon Ayuk is the interesting one to me because I've been kind of saying all offseason that I don't know that they're going to be able to keep him around given the contract he'll want and given the money they have tied up everywhere else. And therefore, teams should be calling the 49ers, at least testing their resolve to keep him around. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened at all. Do you think they're going to keep? Do you think they're going to pay him and keep him on the roster, or is he going to end up being a, a big free agent for somebody? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So, well, he's definitely not going to be a free agent. Uh, um, it would it would definitely require a trade uh, next offseason, probably most likely. I think what's going to happen now with these, you know, team or players, excuse me, pushing for these shorter term deals like a Debo Samuel getting a three year extension last year is it actually helps your ability to kind of stagger contracts. So it is going to be tough. They have so many big deals now. You bring in Javon Hargrave, you have Trent Williams, you're about to make Nick Bosa probably the highest paid non quarterback in the NFL. But, like, by the time a Uke's money or cap hits at least really kick in, let's say in 2025, love the guy, but, like, is George Kittle still going to be a Niner? I don't know. Is Trent Williams still going to be a Niner? I don't know. Like, and then Debo, you know, he'll still be younger, not not in the, you know, kind of, you know, the bucket with those guys, but maybe going into the last year of his deal to this, okay, well, you know, we can, we can either extend him or not. We can kind of figure things out. So I think that's the big thing is they have done a pretty good job, I think, of, like, everything is is connected right and if you balance kind of when money hits both from a cash standpoint and from a cap standpoint and if you balance kind of the age uh situation on your roster you still do let some good players walk you let mike mcglinchey go you let some players that got big deals leave and you just prioritize certain guys i would say washington i think has kind of changed my mind i i wouldn't say i mocked their their, their four straight first round picks on the defensive line but Look, they're basically having a best-case scenario. All four, four guys are good football players. They've already paid two. Montez Sweat is going into his fifth-year option season. Would it be tough to pay all four? Yes. But let's say they hypothetically, you know, they, they, they Chase Young has a great year. They franchise tag him in the offseason, you know, and, and they pay Montez Sweat this offseason. By the time Young's money kick in, Duran, I mean Jonathan Allen's money would kind of be running out. Like, long answer short, you, you can kind of stagger things. It gets tough at a certain point, but I don't know. I think Brandon Ayuk seem to be a hard guy to let go. Yeah, the salary cap to me is endlessly fascinating because we, it gets in, in the Twitter world of zero nuance and you know short, pithy statements. It's like the salary cap isn't real or blah blah blah. It's it's just so endlessly complicated. In theory, it's a really simple thing, right? You have X amount of money, you got to divide them up or divide all that money up amongst the players that count on your roster. Simple, right? It's just a case of juggling how much goes to this guy. But then you add on layer after layer after layer of complication, right? It's like, okay, that's fine now, but each one of these contracts is a different length. What is the salary cap now? What does it look like in 12 months? What does it look like in 24 months? That's a different way you can manipulate this. And, you know, you factor in the draft, the different types of contracts, cheap deals here. Like every time you add another layer or another piece of this, you're right, it's all interconnected. And each one of these things, you know, pulls out a thread here, pulls out a thread there, and it all has to be pulled together. So theoretically, it's as simple as you want to make it, right? It's, it's just... Assign the money to all the players on your roster. But it becomes just labyrinthine in terms of Byzantine in terms of how like ridiculously complicated it can get. And it's remarkable to me that we've actually reached a point, I think, where most teams do now have a pretty good handle on that. Like it's very easy to understand how teams ran this off the rails in the first couple of years where you didn't really understand any of the implications of what you were doing. But now, a couple of decades later, it's actually pretty impressive that everybody has kind of got a pretty good handle on how this thing functions. And sure, we can get into trouble with mistakes here or there, but mistakes are going to happen. Actually, we were able to keep this thing on the tracks and pull it back together really quickly if we do get into trouble. Yeah, and what I love, too, is that there are so many different ways to go about it. And I think even one that I've come to appreciate, and the Niners fall in this category, the Chiefs, I think, are, are really the ones kind of spearheading this right now is, so look, we always talk about you want to use premium draft picks on premium positions. You want to get very good football players um, at the most expensive spots because you're therefore saving the most money over their deals and all these things. And that is, of course, true. But I think when you get to a point where, let's say you're the Niners and you have like elite talent at like across your defensive line, a couple of really good offensive linemen, obviously receiver, you know, all the way down the list and, and the Chiefs as well. Same thing. You have, you know, your quarterback, you have your tight end slash receiver and Travis Kelsey, et cetera, et cetera. Actually using a lot of these draft picks, even second and third rounders on like a Creed Humphrey or on a, a, a slot corner or on. And look, you know, in a vacuum, we might not love that move. Or if you were starting a team from scratch, I would say, why would you do that? But 
you just find new ways to say, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to maybe get, you know, shoot for the moon here and get the most potential surplus value, but we're not going to spend in free agency on a center because we got Creed Humphrey. We're not going to spend on a guard because we got Trey Smith. Like, we're not really going to spend at corner. We're actually going to let all of our corners, Traverius Ward, et cetera, leave Kansas City because we just keep supplementing these guys. Juan Thornhill, gone. Like, and so. The hard part is figuring out, you know, quarterback, defensive yeah. line, and, and and a receiving option. But if you do, you know, kind of I mean, hit the lottery, frankly, with Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes, like, all right, we're going to save money in a different way by just like, you know, anyway, long answer short, like I think the Niners fall in that bucket as well. Um, of kind of like leveraging the gravity of how good their elite players are that you can kind of have, you know, maybe a, a secondary that we poke holes in, but – yeah, if you have three seconds to get the ball off before Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, and whatever get home, it doesn't matter, you know, to a degree what, what your cornerback room looks like. I think that's one of the things that gets lost sometimes, and we're we're as guilty of this as anybody. Um, we talk about, you know, the optimal strategy or the way that you should allocate your resources if all things were equal. And we tend to think of it in terms of a blank sheet of paper, right? You're starting from nothing. How do you build? But nobody's starting from nothing, right? Even the guys that clean house, you know, the, the organization's been turned upside down. Everybody got fired. You just got hired. You come in to build it from scratch. Even those guys aren't starting from nothing. You know, Ryan Poles didn't start from zero. He had to tear it down, and it still wasn't zero. Like, he still had Justin Fields and the other guys who were on the roster. So nobody is working from a blank sheet of paper. You're always starting from a point where there are a few things – that influence the optimal way of doing it, right? So I'm starting to sort of come around the longer we do this, that like almost no overarching strategy is inherently dumb. It's not like this is just an idiotic way of doing this. This is ridiculous. Individual decisions, you might think, even even in these terms, that's too far, right? That's That's too negative a situation, like the Will Anderson trade for Houston. I think, you know, generally speaking, you can make an argument for what they're doing, but I think that's a negative EV move no matter what you do, right? You're relying on the bad side of the odds working out in your favor for that to be a good move, which is just an inherently poor way of doing things. But you look at somebody like Detroit this year, right? What was it? The first four draft picks, something like that, were all non-premium positions. Generally, that, that would not be the optimum way of doing it. But they're not working from a blank piece of paper. They already have a lot of the premium positions ticked. They have weaknesses in a certain set of uh, areas, and there's value to them getting what seem like surer things at those less valuable positions. Like if Jack Campbell turns into a quality starting linebacker for them, they don't have to, in a couple of years' time, go and spend $100 million on whoever the next version of Tremaine Edmonds is to fix that weakness in the defense because they have Jack Campbell already there. Like... I think the more you do this, the more you sort of understand that that the fact that everybody is working from their own uh, special, unique set of circumstances is what dictates a lot of these divergences from what you think is the optimal strategy and actually understanding how to bend the rules and, you know, warp that optimal strategy and still be as good as you can get is probably where the genius lies for these guys. 110%. And that's why, like, every single thing matters, the context of your roster, but also why, and I think... I've probably said a good thing and a negative thing about every single team, but of course I'll say something about, I don't know, the Eagles or one of the darlings right now of, of roster construction. People say, oh, well, you're so biased or whatever, because a, a lot of times I'll say, like, this move made sense for this team, right. but it wouldn't have made sense for this team. And they say, well, how is that possible? And here's, I mean, the obvious example I don't like the Fletcher Cox Delos offseason. Look, he's a phenomenal player, probably a borderline Hall of Fame player. But the 2022 version of Fletcher Cox being worth a one-year $10 million flyer, in my opinion, no. But right. you could argue if you don't sign Fletcher Cox for one year $10 million, and he actually had a bigger offer from another team, so they kind of had to, if you don't do that, are you comfortable taking Jalen Carter? Because for all we know, that kid is going to walk in the building and Fletcher Cox is going to put his arm around his shoulder and say, for the next year or whatever, two years that I'm playing with you, I'm going to be your guy, I'm your go-to vet, I'm going to show you how to be an NFL player, show you how to be a man, like, et cetera, et cetera. The, lo- the, the point I'm just saying is that, like, in the same way, I said this the other day on the athletic football show, like in the same way that like, you know, a, a one yard run is a negative EV play in the moment, 
if you're doing it to set up a play action pass that gets you 80 yards later on, then you actually can say if you take the entire picture, right. it made sense. I think it applies to roster construction as well, where, yeah, paying Pledger Cox $10 million, maybe, you know, the Bears couldn't bring in Jalen Carter. It would have made it, it would not have probably worked, but it probably can work in Philly because of where they're at right now from a roster standpoint. Yeah, if you were looking strictly in on-field football terms, it doesn't make sense to pay Fletcher Cox this offseason. We talk all the time about how improvement or even decline is not necessarily a linear line for Cox. It absolutely is at the moment. In 2018, he had a PFF grade of 92.5. And then subsequent years, so it went 92.5, 84.5, 74.1, 66-7, I mean, that is a as, as steady a decline as you're going to see from a player's career, and it would be practically miraculous if he bounced back next season and, you know, put a, a 75 grade out there given the, the sort of trajectory he's on right now. I think that's a really interesting point is that even good teams, no matter how good or bad your team is, Everybody makes mistakes from a uh, personnel just decision standpoint, right? Like the Eagles, they, the Eagles made one of the biggest draft mistakes in the last 10 years. They drafted Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. That's catastrophic in terms of a one, a single time, just personnel analysis goof, right? And everybody makes mistakes in terms of, you know, money allocation, sort of, do you sign this guy? Do you walk away? Like what, that and the Fletcher Cox thing, I think being an example of that, at least on a, in football terms, whether they offset that with him, you know, being a mentor or a guy that can bring <clears throat> Jalen Carter around. So that's like an element of this is you can't, I don't think ever, number one, you have to sort of look at it in broad terms, strategic terms, who is doing a good job as a direction, you know, directionally, the Lions are moving in the right direction. They're making more good decisions and bad decisions. They are generally doing a good job. Eagles, same thing, right? But also, it doesn't mean that you can't criticize one-off moves. The Eagles are doing as good a job as anybody, and they've made one catastrophic error and, you know, pick your pers- your individual sort of personnel decision with the, the roster and say, didn't like that move, you know, whatever. Everybody... Is nobody is immune from criticism, but you need to have more nuance than just saying, well, these guys are obviously idiots. Like, you need to understand the, the circumstances involved and the broad picture of whether this thing is moving in the right direction or not. And, and that goes back to your point of, like, you need to play the probabilities. And obviously right. they get that better than anyone, but you goof the Jalen Rager pick, not as big of a goof, but I mean, they took J.J. Ostega-Whiteside, what, like five picks before D.K. Metcalf? Sure. Like, so you totally flopped twice in a row there, but then you basically have the most obvious tank in, in, in recent NFL history. In week 17 against the Washington Commanders, you lose a game on purpose, and then you, you trade down and you still get Devontae Smith, right? So it's like they just continue to churn. They're not afraid by past mistakes, and they're also not afraid of playing the numbers. Um, eventually, you're probably going to hit on one of those picks, and and yeah, they hit on Devontae, so who cares about Ragor and, and J. Jaw? Absolutely. All right, Brad, been an awesome show. Appreciate you uh, coming on to talk salary cap, health of all 32 teams with us. Um, Steve, I believe, is back on Monday, but that's been the PFF NFL podcast for the week. Hope you've enjoyed listening and uh, talk to you next week.